welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Pilconis. It is no secret that the construction industry is heavily male dominated. Historically, that's been the reality. While women make up close to 50% of the total workforce, they are statistically underrepresented in construction. Women comprise only 10.9% of the current construction workforce, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. But today, as construction continues to be an essential industry in helping our nation's economic recovery, firms are fighting the growing workforce shortage and looking to recruit more women than ever before to bring their skill sets into the office and the field and recognizing that a diverse workforce leads to stronger companies. Yes, there are certainly challenges, but perceptions and cultures are changing. Women continue to build their path in the industry, and AGC wants to celebrate the successes and talk about what women have done to further the industry. To discuss all of this, we've invited three very successful women in construction to share their stories and insights on how they have gone about recruiting, training, and empowering other women in construction, and what they're doing to help ensure the long-term health of the industry. With me today, we have Mara Heston, General Manager at Shoemaker Construction Co., Lori Dunn-Guyen, Division Manager at Swinnerton, and Laleen Mitchell, Project Manager at BBI Construction, and also the 2020-2021 NAWIC, or National Association of Women in Construction, Vice President. So welcome, all of you. I'm so glad to have you here with us today. I'd like to invite each of you to introduce yourselves to kind of get us going and tell us what attracted you to the construction industry and really why did you see it as a good fit for you personally? So Lori, let's get started with you first. Sure. Uh, my name is Lori dunn I am division manager for Swinnerton. I oversee our offices in San Francisco as well as the Silicon Valley. Um, I grew up in Sacramento. I went to a women in math and science conference at Sac State, and that was probably seventh grade, and I decided then that I wanted to be a civil engineering major, Um, but I really did not know what a civil engineer did all day, so I ended up going to Cal, declared as a civil engineering major, uh, got into my upper division classes, and I really liked construction management. I really liked how it combined my technical expertise as well as the communication piece of it, you know, just, you know, needing really strong communication skills, verbal and written. So that really appealed to me. Um, And I got an internship the summer after my junior year, and I absolutely fell in love with the business. Great. Thanks for being with us, Lori. Mara, how about you? Hi, Leah. Uh, So my name is Mara Hesden, and I am, as Leah said, the general manager of Shoemaker Construction Co. We are in the Philadelphia market. Uh, I grew up in this area as well and really always wanted to be in construction. I started my career with Shoemaker as a project engineer in the field and worked my way up through. However, different from Lori, I don't have a construction-based degree. I actually went to school for business and and got a business degree, but always wanted to participate in the nuts and bolts of how things went together, and I was very... um, 
sort of mechanically minded. The construction industry offers that to everyone. You don't have to necessarily have gone to school for construction in order to be successful. In fact, sometimes having a different perspective helps with the business side of the, of the industry as well. Thanks, Mara. Welcome today. Laleen? Hi, ladies. It's so exciting to be here with you all, and thanks so much for having me. I took a little less traditional path similar to Mara. My degree, a four-year degree, is completely unrelated to construction, but I watched my father and brother work around the house for years upon years and just was always fascinated with the process of what they were creating and the built environment around me. And that really engaged my curiosity and got me interested in what was happening. I actually took a carpentry class, believe it or not, in my 30s after I had my daughter and talked to the instructor who happened to be a woman. And she suggested that I was too old to be swinging a hammer and that I should use my already uh, ingrained computer skills and communication skills to go into project management. So I started at the lowest possible level as a coordinator and have worked my way up through the project management levels to you know working in the field and also working in management and have enjoyed every bit of it and enjoy the variety and the different projects. Every project is different and every owner is different and everybody has a different focus on it. So. Each project is very unique and individual, and that's what I enjoy the most about what we do. Thanks, Lillian. I'd like to hear from each of you just what you think makes construction a good fit or really attributes that perhaps make women a good fit in construction careers. Can you share what skills that you possess that has really made construction um, good for you and, and that's helped you succeed in the industry just as a whole? Mara, let's start with you. Sure. So I think there's definitely a few attributes that allow everyone to be successful in the construction industry. And some of them are more innate in women than they are in men. Um, so some of the things that are, are key, I believe, are organization skills and, and communication skills. If you can't clearly communicate what you need with your team, whether that be subcontractors, clients, architecture, design team, or uh, you're within your own firm, then you're not going to have the result that you desire. Uh, one of the things that I think allowed me to be most successful in this industry is the ability to see the big picture without losing sight of the details and to remain calm under pressure because in this industry there are fires every day that we have to put out and being able to handle that you know without getting upset or, or being able to look at the bigger picture of yes we have to solve this problem but how is it affecting other items is really important in the construction industry. That's great insight. Thanks, Mara. Laleen, what about you? What can, what can you share? Oh, I have to admit I had a good chuckle when Mara noted that there are <laughs> fires every day and we have to put them out and she's the last one, sort of like myself, and I'm sure Lori too, who's screaming and running around like a chicken with her head cut off. So focus is one of the things that I think definitely has been an important piece to this, and that is focusing at all levels. It's similar to what Mara mentioned, 
again, I started at the bottom, so I saw that. I understood a lot of the differences and the nuances as I worked my way up the ladder and was willing to stay connected and communicate with all of the team, not just the people who were making the decisions, because it seemed to me frequently, and I think it still applies, that the top doesn't necessarily understand what the bottom is doing. They're looking at an end result, and they want a particular piece to come together or to provide that production, but they don't understand, you know, the blood, sweat and tears that goes into that. And so I've always seen my role as the person that helps both sides understand where to meet up in the middle and to make this project come together. So again, communication skills were critical in that sense, as well as organization and, and a sequence, understanding that sequence and, and applying that to each of the particular projects. Lori, what would you like to share? Similar to the the other ladies, I would agree that communication is just super, super important. Um, whether that's written, whether that's verbal, it's just, it's super important to the success um, of a, a, a career in construction in my mind. I think that it's also very important to have those leadership skills where you are going to take ownership of issues and ensure that they get resolved. Like that's that's also very important. I see that in a lot of our successful team members is that they are willing to take ownership for things that may not be their responsibility, but they're going to ensure that the issue is resolved. And then finally, probably problem solving. You know, you you really have to be a good problem solver in our business because things just don't always go according to plan. So you always have to have um, alternatives, um, a plan B, because again, unfortunately, everything as, as well as you may have planned everything out during pre-construction, there's always going to be something that doesn't go exactly according to plan. Thank you all. I mentioned in my opening remarks that we were going to talk a little bit about how to attract and retain talent and fill that sort of employment gap. I want to um, spend a couple minutes asking you each to share your your efforts and the outreach that you've done to create awareness and improve the industry image and just promote career advancement in the industry. Lolene, I'd like to start with you and if you could talk a little bit about what's happening uh, within NAWIC. We have an exceptional arm to NAWIC, which is our um, NAWIC Education Foundation, NEF, and they provide a lot of different educational opportunities. But one of the fun pieces is Block Kids, and that is aimed at elementary school children and introduces them to construction by offering a building block competition to keep it very simple. As well, they have a design drafting arm that is aimed at more high school level and college level students. And between those two items, I think that we really try to effectively reach back to the younger generation and connect them with connect construction at an early age, similar to what Lori mentioned, seventh grade, she attended a conference. Our kids may end up doing block kids a couple of times or even design drafting and recognizing the opportunities that are available in construction by just getting that little taste of construction overall and thinking about problem solving, as Lori noted, or again, communication, as Mara has noted, that, that those are the skills that are going to be required in order to be successful for this. So again, NAWIC has gone out and, and attracted folks by trying to implement these different programs in schools at, and in early early education. And then, Laleen, the way that it works, I think that um, you, you explained this to me in the past, that it's a, um, 
this is a national, this is rolled out at the national level, and then um, you've got representation from the divisions, and it, it, there's local efforts as well. Can you, can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. The Again, the Naywick Education Foundation is an, a national organization, and anyone can actually go online there, check out their programs, and participate in them. But from NAWIC's perspective, we have a national level, and then we have regional uh, chairs or other folks, and then we have uh, each of the chapters individually in multiple states. And so what happens is the chapters participate generally, and they take it to their own local community or elementary schools. And so as a result, you have multiple layers of folks that are able to do this outreach across the United States, and we actually also have a chapter in Guam even. So we have a lot of interest and, and focus all across each level of NAWIC. Okay, thanks for that clarification, because Mara, I know that you've got some um, experience and examples to share more at the local level, so I wanted to kind of get that in as the backdrop. And Mara, what, what can you um, tell us about some local efforts that you've been involved in? Sure, absolutely. So as Lawleen explained with the Block Kids program, we actually do, the, do that in Philadelphia as well. Uh, We've created the NAWIC Philadelphia Foundation uh, locally that is separate from our chapter. Uh, the chapter focuses on women who are already in their careers and how we can best support them. But the foundation focuses on youth. So all of our student activities from our scholarships to our camp to our Block Kids program is actually housed in the foundation. And that allows a sort of a, a separation of church and state to be able to focus on the women who are currently in their careers and what developments they need, as well as the workforce development for the future and getting more interest from young women into the construction industry. Um, so one of the things that we do in Philadelphia is we have a, a camp that is free uh, for middle and high school girls. It's called Mentoring Young Women in Construction. And it is a day camp that we have grown over the years from a single week during the summer uh, to this past summer's program, although COVID environment forced us to do it virtually, was actually seven weeks long. So we were able to engage these girls with hands-on activities that were a little more creative than we typically would do uh, because they were at home uh, engaging in our camp. However, it's something that we hope this year will be back in person at the training centers, allowing them to have real hands-on experiences. And you know, really we're trying to convince these young women that there's a place for them in the construction industry and that they can easily be assimilated into that industry and get the training that they need to be successful. Uh, some of the other things that we do locally with my firm is that we work directly with some of the universities, the school district of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Housing Authority to be able to place people in the industry and get them into pre-apprenticeship programs when necessary so that they can also be successful. So we don't just work with students, we work with uh, the full broad spectrum of individuals. Uh, Within our enterprise, which is the Boats family of companies, we actually have women at all levels of the enterprise, um, from field engineers, project managers, safety directors, 
project uh, executives and senior project managers to general manager. So it's something that we take very seriously. And we are seeing that there are more and more qualified women when we're recruiting for positions out there. And like myself, they might not come from an engineering background, but they are you know, coming from architecture or coming from a, a similar background that they really want to get out into the construction side of things and not just stay on the design side. And they've been very effective at assimilating into that role. Thanks, Maram. You shared a lot of uh, great information there. Lori, we also spoke previously about um, Swinnerton specifically, and I know that you've got many women project managers um, on your team, and you've been very successful with recruitment, retention, and support that you've offered them. Can you share your experience at Swinnerton supporting young females and, and helping them work their way up the corporate ladder and, and further their career? Sure. So um, at Swinnerton, the offices that I oversee, we put in place about $800 million worth of work last year. I would say that that's comprised of about 12 to 14 major projects. And I, I'm really, really proud of the fact that probably a third of those were led by female project managers or project executives. I would like to think that we are you know, leading by example. We're showing that within our organization that there can be female senior leadership and it's just continuing to be that that coaching that mentoring that supporting of other um, young females within our our company to let them know that those opportunities are are there and they're there for the taking so um, for us it's really just continuing to promote within and providing some of our um, female leaders those opportunities to to lead their own projects We've heard you all share kind of how you're trying through these programs and partnership efforts to uh, reach uh, women younger and younger. And there's so much that you can read, so many statistics about the struggle to find uh, skilled craft workers. What do you think is the biggest challenge or can you share personally the biggest challenge that you faced in recruiting women into construction? Mara, I know that you had some thoughts on this. Sure. As the student population, I believe that our biggest struggle still is the parents and parents not understanding that their children can have very successful and lucrative careers in the construction industry and even in the craft trade industry. Uh, it really is something that they're able to support their own families, uh, yes, there are some challenges, but is valuable experience and we need to try and do a better job at convincing school counselors as well as parents that this is a good career for their children and their daughters. Laleen, Lori, do you guys have anything you want to add to that? Or, you know, I was thinking it might be um, interesting just to share, you know, if you were going to kind of make a pitch to a high school girl or student on why construction is something that they should consider, you know, what, what would you offer? I think in the past, um, construction has 
been seen as an industry that struggles to provide a good work-life balance. And so I think really talking with young ladies in college, it's around the fact that this, I joined the industry 23 years ago. So, you know, things have certainly evolved and there has been value in the work-life balance side of things. So it's just, you know, difficult because of course in construction, we're competing for the same young, super smart, talented folks. And it's just, it's important that we're also able to show that construction can also provide a work-life balance because I think there's been a stigma in the past that it is um, a grind and that you are expected to work 12, 14 hours a day. And so I think that we're, we're working to try to, to change that idea. Certainly the idea of ladies who want to have children and have families, right? Maybe have seen our industry as kind of something that wasn't so much of an of an option. And so now, I mean, I have a two and a half year old myself. So certainly learning and then being able to, some of our team members being able to see how flexible we have to be and how we can accommodate things. I think that that's definitely a plus that I'm seeing in the in the industry. Lori, is there anything specific that you would like to share with regard to just in your role as a leader, how you've helped your team feel more confident and empowered in their position and just find that work-life balance? Any tips that you could offer? Yeah, like I said, I have a two and a half year old, so I probably a lot of these ideas have come up in the last couple years, but I really have found that communication is key. Um, I tell a lot of my project executives, hey, I have to leave at 4.30 to go to daycare. I mean, and they know. I mean, they're actually better at watching the clock than I am. They're like, hey, it's 4.30. You can't be late to daycare. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes people are nervous to kind of set those boundaries. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, where is so-and-so? We're not really sure. And that's where I think the communication breaks down. Whereas if you just come in the front door with what your boundaries need to be for you to be successful, in my case, it is I need to leave at 4.30 for daycare pickup. That is empowering within itself. It just makes you feel secure. It makes me feel supported when people in the office um, are concerned about other things that I may have going on. It's really comes down to communication. Thanks for sharing that. Mara, Lolene, do you have anything else that you wanted to add there? Really quickly, because Lori leaves at 4.30, doesn't mean that Lori doesn't pop back on at 5.30, 6, 7, or 8. And that's the thing I think people forget. They are reluctant, as Lori has stated, to sort of draw that line in the sand for fear of reprisal or of retribution for bringing this up. But at the same time, Anybody that's really paying attention is going to observe if you are dedicated and you have the behaviors to pick up wherever you left off and make sure you get those items completed. And I, I think that that's another piece to this that, that has to be articulated for folks to start to buy into this and understand it better. Thanks for sharing that. And, and I think you're kind of speaking now as, as a mentor and that kind of gets into my next question for all of you. And I'd like to ask you what you think that you've done well as a mentor and what are your recommended strategies just for seeking out a mentor in the industry? Because I think it's important to have someone um, who can help you find that balance and help you feel empowered and help you get to the next level in your career. Laleen, let's start with you on that one. So it's interesting that you say that. It, that it, 
that's a very personal and sort of difficult challenge to me because that mentor has been a really popular buzzword of late and people have made a lot of commentary about you needing to have it and, and, and wanting to do that. But I think as much as the official mentorship programs, and we have a great one with our Emerging Professionals Committee, which I'll hit in one second, but the idea that you see ladies like Lori and Mara actually working in the industry, they can be your mentor without having conversation. The way you watch them handle difficult situations or be graceful under pressure, you recognize and see to be it, you have to see it. And so I frequently think about just having more women in construction is helpful in and of itself without an official mentorship program. But if you like the structure and formality of a program, I've got one for you. NAWIC has an Emerging Professionals Committee, and their job has been to help chapters. Uh, again, we have many chapters. We have 100, over 116 across the United States set up mentorship programs within. And so we have lots of levels of ladies in those chapters, and we've been trying to pair some of the more seasoned members with our younger members, or even women who have just now decided construction is a career that they'd like to pursue. So we've been working to put together an official program to help people find each other and set up these sort of mentoring sessions. And again, mentoring works both ways. There are a lot of seasoned women who are looking to younger women to help them figure out technical issues or challenges that they may be facing in terms of working with the younger folks that are coming into the industry. So I think it's been complimentary for, for lots of folks to, to uh, participate in our mentorship programs. Thanks, Lalene. You mentioned kind of leading or, or learning by example and seeing great examples. And I just wanted to mention some of the AGC NAWIC partnership events that are going to be happening for National Women in Construction Week. And I think that these events uh, really are surrounded by trying to um, bring others in to talk about um, leadership opportunities and programs that are happening across the country. AGC's Austin chapter, AGC of Massachusetts, and AGC of Washington, just three examples that I wanted to share, have all partnered with uh, NAWIC and have joined events planned for all Women in Construction Week. Our AGC of Washington chapter is hosting a NAWIC mentor kickoff event, as well as a lunch with author Trisha Kegerer, who's written um, a really fantastic book, The B Words, 13 Words Every Woman Must Navigate for Success. They've got a happy hour and some additional community activities. Our AGC of Massachusetts Massachusetts uh, chapter is featuring a spotlight on businesses owned by women of color, a virtual fitness class, which sounds interesting, uh, casual convos with kick-ass women in construction, and some additional dedicated programming. And then our AGC of Austin um, chapter has a networking happy hour and joint program planned with various associations featuring uh, Kristen Arnold with a talk titled Team Player or Spectator, How to Get Everyone in the Game. And that's just a sampling of uh, some things that are going on. Great to see AGC chapters and uh, local NAWIC chapters partnering. Mara, I wanted to jump over to you because I know that you had some really great insight and, and thoughts that I'd like you to share sort of on this uh, mentoring topic. Sure, Leah. I'm actually going to expand a little bit on what Lawline said, and that is that you don't necessarily have to have a, a formal mentorship set up in order to learn something and grow from that. So one of my suggestions is to observe 
many people, not just women, but leaders in the industry and find the right person who you think their knowledge and their leadership style, you would like to try to mirror without losing your own voice. Uh, because we're all different and it really is important to try to figure out how to best grow into your own leadership style with some guidance and advice from others. There are uh, clearly value that we can bring to the younger folks who are interested in trying to learn what we might have stumbled upon, what we've learned in the past that worked and didn't work and how to best navigate that without going through that entire process themselves and getting a little bit of insight. But I think that it's important to have a few various mentors, whether they be formal or whether they be informal that you can call up when you have a particular situation that you need to talk about. So like I said, that, that goes for women and men. There may be a leadership mentor that you're looking for more advice about how you're handling something in particular within your business that you don't necessarily want to talk to somebody who might be a competitor or might have a voice to a competitor. So being able to, to use organizations like AGC and NAWIC to meet people from across the country really brings value to mentorship for an individual. That allows you to find someone who is a neutral player, but has the same experiences as you do to understand your situation and, and help you to make the right decisions for your own self. It also is important to find a mentor within your company that can help you with company issues that you might need to be able to navigate. They might not necessarily be in the same uh, department as you. It might be somebody who has just been there for 20 years and, and knows how things work better, or uh, it's someone who you have been able to look up to over your career so far. I do a fair amount of mentoring with partners as well. So organizations that have women who we partner with, whether they be subcontractors or, or other joint venture partners, so that we can help to build people who are within the industry, but not necessarily within our own firms. So that's something that is really valuable because typically you have some sort of vested interest together to be successful. Thanks, Mara. It's great advice and information. As we're talking about leadership and inclusion and diversity in the construction industry, are there specific efforts underway to advance racial equality in the workplace? Lolene, what, what is going on at the NAWIC national level? Last year, we instituted a DEI or Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force that I was fortunate enough to be asked to be to participate in or to be a part of. And I do believe that that has been helpful in us doing our own research within the women that are members and also understanding a little bit more of what they might be looking for to help, I hope, give some narration or even just additional statistics to our industry in regards to women and then also, of course, women of color within and we this year just turned that task force into a permanent committee. So we are seeking additional input and information from more members uh, this way now. Again, our goal is to, of course, number one, try to obtain more statistics that can be shared with the industry 
promote conversations as difficult as they may be, and of course, to drive change in our industry and, you know, acceptance and inclusion, which is always a complicated issue, but one that we are happy to try to push to the forefront. Thanks, Maline. Lori, are there some specific things going on uh, at Swinnerton that you'd like to share? Um, you know, diverse, diversity and inclusion is super important for us, and we've certainly tried to take proactive steps to promote that inclusivity. I would say we, this was our first year celebrating Black history. We just finished last month celebrating a series of, of Black history celebrations. Also, ensuring that we are actively recruiting and, and increasing the net for diversity as well as for female candidates. Um, and we're also gonna make a concerted effort to go to historically black colleges this year in order to, again, help expand the net of our, our qualified candidates. So um, it's definitely at the forefront of what we're doing. And um, it's something that's part of our core values and our culture, and certainly um, something that our clients are wanting to see that we value and that we see as important. So we have certainly tried to put some pro proactive additional steps in place over the last year or so. Thanks, Lori. Hearing the kind of NAWIC uh, National Association effort and then Lori, your company specific effort. Maura, I think that you had some local um, specific things that you'd like to talk about. Sure. At the local AGC chapter level, we have been focusing on DEI for probably five years now, around the same time as the AGC National DEI Forum was created. I actually was part of the initial task force for the AGC DEI Forum as well, um, which was a great experience to be able to brainstorm and figure out how best to bring this conversation to AGC National as a whole. And I think Bryn's going to talk a little bit later about some of the efforts that they're doing currently. But the local chapter efforts, uh, we are not only reaching out to diverse businesses and workforce uh, as far as the leadership and the, the construction management side of things. We're actually putting quite a bit of effort into pre-apprenticeship training for tradespeople. We have several programs that our chapter sponsors and partners with to bring local community members into an opportunity to really get the training that they need in order to get into the local union apprenticeship centers, not only get the, pass the test, but also we work very hard to find them a job. So we work with our contractor members to essentially marry the individuals that are looking for employment with contractors to make sure that they are set up on the right foot in order to be successful. One of the things that we instill upon them in the pre-apprenticeship training is that there's a great value to have them in the construction industry, especially where we are and as long as they are able to be successful on their own, uh, get to work on time, make sure that they're doing their job, participate in a, a, a positive manner, that they will have a job for a very long time. So that's something that we're working with communities directly to identify those individuals and keep them in our industry and staying successful. And sometimes it is an opportunity to get them out of a low-income housing situation and, and into something that is more stable, as well as, like I said earlier, support their families. Thanks, Mara. 
you mentioned my colleague, Bryn, and I want to introduce her. Um, she's uh, on the podcast here with us to talk a little bit about some AGC of America programming. Bryn Haneke is director of AGC's Diversity and Inclusion Program. And in honor of Women in Construction Week, AGC of America is going to be releasing a new toolbox talk series that addresses sexism in the workplace. And this is part of AGC's initiative to boost diversity and inclusion in the construction industry. Uh, I want to kick it over to Bryn to talk for a few minutes about this, and she's also going to uh, explain AGC's culture of care program as well as the new toolkit. Welcome, Bryn. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Leah, for having me and, and allowing me to share today. Um, yeah, so I want to start talking a little bit about culture of care and what that program is. AGC of America launched culture of care as a national program about a year ago. I want to make sure that I acknowledge where this program began, which was uh, at our AGC of Washington chapter based in Seattle. Um, they developed Culture of Care back in 2018 for contractors in Washington State and partnered with us to let us turn Culture of Care into a national program. So the credit for Culture of Care's success really belongs to them. But what Culture of Care asks firms in construction to do is to take a pledge committing to building diverse, safe, welcoming, and inclusive workplaces. CARE is an acronym that stands for Commit, Attract, Retain, and Empower. And those are the four pillars of the pledge. So we're asking companies in the pledge to commit to hire and pay based on skill and experience, to attract new employees to their companies by making sure their workplaces are free from harassment, hazing, and bullying, to retain high-performing high employees by identifying and removing barriers to advancement, and that's especially for women and Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And finally, to empower all of their employees to promote an inclusive workplace. So after a company takes the Culture of Care pledge, we've also developed a number of resources to help companies support that pledge. The resources that are part of Culture of Care include things like sample workplace policies on employee behavior expectations for a Culture of Care, HR best practices for diversity and inclusion, and toolbox talks on the Culture of Care pledge and what it means for employees to be able to communicate that commitment out to the workforce. There's also toolbox talks on mental health and suicide prevention and making the connection between employee wellness and inclusive cultures. And then our most recent toolkits help companies have more in-depth conversations around specific diversity and inclusion topics. Last fall, we released a toolkit to help companies address racism in the workplace. The toolkit includes a series of four toolbox talks and a guide to help companies prepare for and successfully hold that conversation with their employees. And this week, like Leah said, in honor of Women in Construction Week, we released a second toolkit which focuses on sexism in the workplace. The purpose of this toolkit is to go beyond standard sexual harassment or sex discrimination training and to talk about some of the ways that women might face everyday sexism in the workplace. The toolkit includes three toolbox talks, which include hypothetical scenarios that women fa might face in the construction site 
and includes some discussion questions for employees to discuss how to address these scenarios. It also provides some ways that individuals can disrupt incidents of everyday sexism and be a strong ally for women in the workplace. Like the racism toolkit, the sexism toolkit also includes a guide to help companies identify their purpose and goals for having the conversation, how to create a safe space to successfully hold the conversation, and finally some tips on the ways to follow up the conversation with additional action. So all of these resources, including the new Sexism in the work Workplace Toolkit, can be found at the Culture of Care website, which is www.buildculture.org. Thank you, Bryn. And thank you for sharing that website and sounds like really some amazing tools and resources um, that are going to be widely available to, to industry. We will make sure that we include uh, that website in, in the show notes for today's episode. We're also going to make sure that we include uh, a link to uh, NAWIC's page um, and other resources that we've mentioned um, on the episode today. That'll all be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Laline, Mara, and Lori. Thanks for all that you've shared today. I think you've given folks a, a lot of great takeaways, and um, thank you all for your, for your leadership. Appreciate everyone listening today. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org/constructorcast. If you found value in this episode, please leave a rating and review. It helps people discover the show. And don't forget to follow us on social media for more construction-related content. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Associated General Contractors of America or the handle at EGC of A. Thanks so much.